I will never forget the words, fire, fire, only take your passport. My first assignment with the navigators was in Romania. It was a communist country. We had snuck in with some papers that said we wanted to study socialistic agriculture, huh, as if a Kansas farm boy needed that. And, um, but they let us get in because they needed dollars. And uh, I began to realize in the dorm where I lived, 10-story dorm, there was no fire escapes. Life is cheap in a communist country. Well, it was a February day, and uh, someone went yelling down the hall, 11 o'clock in the morning, fire, fire, only take your passports. I mean, he was already frantic himself. And I jumped up, rushed to the door, opened the door, and there in the ceiling in the hallway was two feet of smoke already clinging to the ceiling. And I knew this is serious. And I, like about 800 other students, grabbed my coat. I had my little Bible hidden in my coat and, and a passport. And I, like all of these others, we, wanted, we headed towards the one stairwell that would get us out of the building. Now, the stairwell was about four or five feet wide, but 800 students trying to get down there all at once. And the problem was, as we got into that, the smoke was only coming up through the stairwell. That was the only escape for the smoke. And I was on the eighth floor, and by the time we got to the sixth floor, you couldn't breathe. And men had taken chairs and had broken out the windows in the stairwell. And these windows had been painted shut for years. And you know what happens when you break a window that's been painted shut? The edges are like sawtooth, glass everywhere. And men became so overwhelmed with fright that they began to push and shove and scream. And the problem was you couldn't breathe. And so you'd get to an open window with all of the broken glass and you'd stick your head out there and try to get a breath of fresh air and you'd hold it and run down another flight of stairs and then fight again. And men were screaming. Of course, men were getting cut. You'd stick your neck out that window and you just and there's pushing and shoving. So there's blood and there's men screaming. And it was real. I got to the fourth floor and I thought, you know, I might not make it out of this. And I began to pray. Well, uh, we got to the second floor and we realized we're cut off. The fire had already spread. It cut off our escape. And like rats from a burning ship, we jumped out of the second story window. Men in their fear would just literally jump. And there was concrete below and so men were breaking legs and getting cut up and so on. And somehow, by the grace of God, I'd pulled my winter coat on, buttoned it up, reached in my pockets, got out my leather gloves, and so when it was my time to jump, somehow I got out on the ledge, turned around, and clung. I kind of hung there a little bit, and it broke my fall, and so I was okay. But we're standing there watching this building burn, hoping that everyone had gotten out. About 20 minutes later, there's a student on the ninth floor, still in his pajamas, obviously been asleep, and the fear and terror in his eyes was overwhelming. Now, this is where I began to see the evil heart of man. Some of the students, Romanian students primarily, were down on the ground. They were yelling, jump, jump, as if this was funny. Now, his friends were yelling, go to the roof, go to the roof, which ended up being a safe place because they got the fire out. But this man panicked. And I don't remember. I think he either got to the fifth or sixth floor. And, of course, he's sticking his head out the window getting fresh air too. But I think he was uh, about on the fifth floor when he lost it. And in fear, he crawled out on that same eight-inch window ledge. And I mean, he immediately slipped and fell to his death. And his body coming down the side of that burning building is branded in my brain 
But what's also branded in my brain is that his body hit the concrete and it was lifeless. 20-year-old man, 19, 20, 21-year-old man whose life was wasted. Now, I tell that story because men, we're all going to die. And at the end of your life, your life, you're going to be asking yourself a question. And that question is going to be, did my life make a difference? Did it count for anything? And in your God-given design, there's not a man or woman in here, but especially for the men, there's not a man in here who wants to live a failure, be a failure or live a mediocre life. In fact, in your God-given design, deep down you know that you were created for something greater, something that would last for eternity. And it is in God's plan for us as men that we would walk with Him, and because we walk with Him, He'd be able to use our lives to impact others. He would be able to use our lives in that which will really last for eternity. And yet the vast majority of men are struggling to just succeed in the basics. We saw that on the video. For every ten men in the church, nine will have children that leave the church. Four will get divorced, affecting more than a million children a year. Now men, we're better than this. We're the Christians. We're the light in the world. And we're better men than this. So as I was in the ministry, I began to wrestle with this. What's the problem? What's going wrong? And it became more and more clear to me as I prayed about every man a warrior over those many years and was working with men. It became clear to me that in the body of Christ, in my opinion, we have forgotten the most fundamental biblical truths on how to live life successfully. We've forgotten what the Bible has to say about living with the areas of money and marriage and raising children and sex and moral purity. Somehow we don't even know what the Bible says on those things. And so we end up living like everyone else and we're getting the same results. Let me tell you a couple of stories that illustrate this point. In the uh, late 1980s, I was uh, leading seminars to teach long-range financial planning to uh, navigator staff. But uh, during that time, I met a man by the name of Jake Barnett from Minneapolis. And Jake is 30, 40 years older than me, and I was in my late 20s at that time. And uh, he began to mentor me in the area of money. Now, Jake had spent a lifetime where in his quiet time, he had looked up every verse in the Bible on money. In fact, he wrote a book called Wealth and Wisdom, and he led a seminar called How to Run Your Business According to Biblical Principle. He began to mentor me. And while we got together one time, he told me this story. While he was in college and he was starting to study the verses of the Bible on money, he ran across Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Now nowhere in the scripture does it say that it's wrong to borrow money, but it's always cast in the negative. And as he prayed about this, he began to feel that God was telling him to run his business as to, after he got out of college to run his business without debt. Well, how do you do that? Well, he graduated. He had this conviction. And he and his wife, they scrimped and saved and scrimped and saved for the first five years of their marriage to get enough cash so that he could start his construction building business, building homes without debt. 
Now, he would be the first to admit that the business climate was different in the 1960s than it is now. But back then, a builder could go to the lumber yard and get all the wood and stuff you needed, and they would carry you for 90 days without interest. So Jake and one employee, they went there and they got all the stuff and they built their first home. They started on their second home. The first one still hadn't sold. They started on their third, and then the first one sold, and then the second one sold. And that first year, his business survived. They built five homes all without debt. The next year it was 10. The next year it was more. And it took about 10 years to where he got to what he called optimum efficiency. He was building 50 homes a year in the Minneapolis area all without debt. Now, how many of you remember in 1981 when interest rates hit 21%? How many of you remember that? And yeah, and the business market went flat, the housing market died, and all of the builders building homes in Minneapolis, they just went out of business. Not Jake. He didn't have any borrowed money at 21%. He kept building homes. Uh, one day a competitor comes by and says, Jake, i got to ask you a question. I see that you build bigger and better homes than I do, and you sell them for less money. What's up with that? How do you do that? And Jake said, how do you finance the homes you build? Now, the next words out of his mouth are really key. This competitor said, like everyone else, I guess. I go to the bank, get a construction loan, then we build the home, we convert the construction loan into a mortgage, we pay every month on the mortgage, then we sell the home, and finally we pay off the mortgage. That's what everybody does. And Jake said, well, how much does that add to the cost of building a home? He said, oh, about $10,000. Now, when Jake told me this story, my brain happened to kick, kick in that time. $10,000 advantage over his competitors, 50 homes a year. I'm trying to get all the zeros in place. Jake was beating the competition by half a million dollars a year because he started his business on a biblical principle. Now, Jake became very successful in the building industry because he applied not only that biblical principle, but other biblical principles. And the thing was, Jake survived all those years, even in the downturn in the market, because you know why? He wasn't living like everyone else. See, that's the problem. When Christians don't know the Scripture on money or marriage or raising children or sex and moral purity, you know what we end up doing? We live like everyone else. We don't know there's another option. And we're getting the same results. That's the tragic part. We're getting the same results as the non-Christian world in these areas of money and marriage and raising children. These things that cause our life to be a failure or a success. Let me tell you another story that illustrates the same point. We have forgotten the most fundamental biblical truths on how to live life successfully. I think it was back in the 1990s when I went to a prayer meeting at a, one of the mega churches there in Omaha and uh, met an older couple, Ted and Cindy. They both had gray hair. They were in their late 50s, early 60s, and they'd already raised their family. And I went and talked to them. They seemed like such a nice couple. They had led the prayer meeting, so they really prayed nice. And uh, I thought, they must be pretty godly. So anyway, uh, 10 days later, out of the blue, Ted calls me. He says, Lonnie, on the phone, uh, would you talk to my wife? I said, sure. He hands the phone to his wife, and she is sobbing. And she screeches into the phone, I want a divorce. I hate living like this, and this man will never change. And I said, hand the phone back to Ted. 
So Ted and I got together a couple days later. It was after work, and I said, Ted, whew, what happened? Cindy was really upset. And for the next 20, year, 20 minutes, excuse me, he told us about their marriage. And it hadn't gone as they had planned. And he'd been out of work. And Cindy had really high expectations. And, and she wanted to live a lifestyle with lots of money. And, and uh, you know, he began to explain how their marriage had struggled, but it was mostly Cindy's fault. Now, ladies, go ahead and laugh. You know that's not true. I said, well, Ted, I'm sorry, that's really hard. Let me ask you a question. Ted, as a Christian, how are you doing at fulfilling your biblical responsibility as a husband? Now, Ted's an educated man. He's got a Ph.D. in molecular biology. He's been going to church for 40 years. And he looks at me and he says, what are you talking about? So we went to Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. And we read it together and I said, Ted, what do you do to give up your life for Cindy? What do you do to prove to your wife that you're willing to sacrifice for her? And Ted looked at me and he looked at the verse and he looked at me and he looked at the verse and he said, I don't know, I've never seen this before. We then went to 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way and treat her with honor so that your prayers will not be hindered. And I said, Ted, what do you do to honor Cindy? What do you do to treat her special? And do you understand why she's in so much pain, where all this hurt is coming from? And he looked at me and he looked at the verse and he looked at me and he looked at the verse and said the exact same words. I don't know. I've never seen this before. We have forgotten the most fundamental biblical truths on how to live life successfully. We have the largest Lutheran church in, uh, in the United States in Omaha. It's a church of about 5,000. It's a good church. And they asked me to come and, and speak one Saturday morning to uh, uh, a men's group. They wanted me to speak on uh, raising children, so I said, great. I went. I said, men, let me, let me ask you a question. Men, I want you to raise your hands if you want to raise your children and grandchildren to follow God and be young adults who make wise decisions. How many of you want that? Everybody raise their hand. Good, good, me too. Now, men, as fathers, how many of you are willing to sacrifice for your children? That they get the training necessary to grow up and want to follow God and want to make wise decisions and their life turns out well. How many of you are willing to sacrifice for that? Everybody raise their hand. Good. Last question. How many of you know three verses on raising children? Not one hand went up. Now, this doesn't make sense to me. We have forgotten the most fundamental biblical truths on money, marriage, and raising children. To me, those three areas of a man's life are huge. And if a man fails in one of those three areas, he feels it. He feels it for a lifetime. And yet the vast majority of teaching and training that we give to men somehow ignores those topics that consume 90 or 95% of a man's life. And that's why God told me to write Every Man a Warrior. Now, Every Man a Warrior is based upon a premise. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 22. Because this premise is that there is a foundational building stone for our Christianity. And if you don't get this right, it throws everything off balance. A foundational building stone in Matthew 22 Verses 36 to 38. 
Now, Jesus is getting all the press because, and the Pharisees are just ticked off at him. You know, you got to feel sorry for those Pharisees. It's hard to compete for ministry dollars when Jesus is healing the sick and raising the dead and feeding 5,000. And all the rabbi did was a couple of circumcisions. It's just hard to compete with that. So anyway, they got a lawyer. This is no lawyer's trick, political trip with all the political ads. You've seen this. They asked this politicians, or they asked Jesus, a question that might have multiple answers. And no matter what he chose, they were going to choose another. I think he was, this lawyer is probably thinking of the Ten Commandments. So he says, teacher, I'm sure it wasn't in a kind voice, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus did not talk about rules when he responded to this. He didn't talk about rules. He talked about relationship. And he responded to this question and said, The greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first. And this is the greatest commandment. Now, there's nowhere else in the Scripture where God or Jesus gives this kind of weight to a thought, to a principle. That our love relationship with God is the foundation of our Christianity. Anything else is the foundation is going to give us some problems. Now, I ask people many times, if they drew a big circle and that circle represented their Christianity, what would be right in the center? What would be right in the sweet spot? And for the vast majority of Christians, it's a set of core theological truths. Things that they're willing to fight for or split the church over. These are the truths that we believe. Now, there's nothing wrong with right doctrine except maybe one thing. It's not the first and greatest commandment. What needs to be in the center of our Christianity or what needs to be the foundational building stone of our Christianity needs to be your love relationship with God. And men, you've got to get this. You and I cannot become the men God wants us to be unless we're developing our love relationship with God. And you do that by spending time with Him in the Word and prayer. You cannot be the man God wants you to be. You can't be the husband God wants you to be. You can't be the father God wants you to be unless you're in the Scripture and talking to Jesus in prayer and you're working through what does the Bible have to say on these issues. But it all begins with this foundational building stone, your love relationship with God. Now, if your love relationship with God is the first and greatest commandment, it's the foundation of our Christianity, and we do this by spending time with Jesus in the Word and prayer. Why is it that so few Christian men do that? Now, over the years of ministry, I've got three reasons. Now, there's others, but three big ones. And we address these in Every Man a Warrior. The first reason why most Christian men do not have quiet times is because no one ever taught them how. No one ever taught them how. It's a skill it needs to be developed. It needs to be taught. It needs to be practiced. It needs to be shared with other men. And the vast majority of Christian men have never been taught how to have a quiet time. Now, we're going to turn that around. And every man aware, that's the first book, lesson number two. How to begin to develop your walk with God. And we're going to help you practice this skill for the next nine months to a year until it come, becomes a new lifelong habit in your life. 
The first reason why most men are not successful in having a daily quiet time is because no one taught them how. We can do that. Now, the second reason is a little more difficult to grasp. We don't see this one coming. The second reason most men don't have a successful walk with God or consistent times in the Word is that we're in a battle, and Satan does not want you and I to go and develop our love relationship with God. Satan knows the first and greatest commandment. Satan also knows another biblical principle, that a man's love relationship with God is directly in correlation to his fruitfulness as a man. Your fruitfulness as a man is determined by how deep you go in your relationship with God. Turn to John 15, 48, if you want to follow along on this. John 15 is the story of the vine and the branch. Now, Jesus is just about three days from going to the cross. And he's kind of with his disciples, and he's saying, Now, disciples, you've got to get this one. I'm not going to be around much longer, so I want to make sure you get this. And in John 15, verse 4, he said, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. And as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then he says, I think the biggest word in the Bible, he says, if, if, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you do not abide in me, well, you're cast forth as a branch, the branches wither, we just throw them in the fire and burn them because they're They're worthless as far as fruit-bearing is concerned. Men, if you're looking at your life and it's not turned out the way you had hoped, there's a direct correlation between your walk with God and your fruitfulness as a man. That might be a place to start looking. Okay, no one taught them how Satan doesn't want you to have a walk with God. He's fighting against it because when men begin to walk with God, their lives change. Their lives change for the better. Uh, let me give you one more story. There was a uh, small church in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, off at Air Force bases there. And um, in this church of 300 people, they found every man a warrior, and they started with 14 men. Now, the first year, uh, one of the guys in the study is a retired Air Force major. And he is one tough dude. I mean, he's, I think, in his early 50s. He's taken early retirement. But he does probably 200 push-ups a, a day, you know. And, I mean, he's got his short haircut. I mean, you just don't mess with this guy. You just know he's a man and authority. The problem is he treated his wife like a private and his kids too. Now, as I got to know this guy, one of the things I recognized, oh, he had watched Dad, who had also been in the military, how Dad had treated Mom. Dad had treated Mom the same way he was treating his wife. And men, you and I will do the same thing unless we get a biblical upgrade in our thinking on how to treat our wives. That was Ted's problem. Ted grew up in a farm family where he saw dad come in and orders mom around. And I mean, mom just jumped. And Ted was doing the same thing to, to Cindy. But anyway, this guy gets into the Every Man of Warrior course. And one of the first thing he learns, of course, is in week two of the course, how to have a quiet time. And he starts spending time with God, something he had never done before in his Christian life. No one had ever taught him how. He started with 15 minutes. That's what we start men with, 15 minutes through three days a week. And he began to realize there's something happening. This this is an enjoyable time. 
And it went from 15 minutes to a half hour and from a half hour to an hour. And later he told me, he said, Lonnie, I, I couldn't wait to get up in the morning. I found that there was great joy in reading the scripture and having my time alone with God. Now he's about two months into this. And one morning, the Lord, the God of the universe, the supreme commander, said, you're not kind to your wife. And he heard it. Now, if you're in the military and the God of the universe speaks, I mean, you salute. You don't argue. Now, he got into book two, and in book two, he was memorizing Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. Give up your life for her. First Peter 3.7, treat your wife in a, in a way that honors her, cherishes her. Understand what your wife is going through. And within a couple of months, he started apologizing to his wife. He started asking forgiveness for things that he had done and said. Now, once again, he was doing with his wife what he had seen dad do with mom. But he got into the scripture and he began to realize my job description from the scripture on being a married man is completely different the way I'm living and how I treat my wife. And he changed dramatically and everybody saw it. The second year came around and they were going to try and launch Every Man a Warrior again in the church. And he gave his testimony. And 75 men out of a church of 300, 75 men signed up to go through Every Man a Warrior. A lot of them have observed the changes in his life. Now, there's probably something else that happened too. His wife went around and told every woman in the church how much her, her husband had changed. That might have had something to do with it too. Satan doesn't want you to walk with God. He's against it. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to keep you in ignorance of knowing how to succeed in life. And men, we're in a war. Three reasons men don't have a quiet time. No one taught them how. Satan is fighting against us. Now, the third reason is something that I think men, we've got to take seriously. And the third reason is, is that if you and I are going to walk with God for a lifetime, we need a group of men around us who will hold us in an accountability situation. We need some men around us who have the same desire to grow into the men that God would want us to be. Now, a good verse on this is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. It says, um, two are better than one. They have a good reward for their work. If one falls down, the other can help him up. And then get this. But pity, pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And the vast majority of men do not have an accountability other man in their life, another man who holds them to accountability, who holds them and says, hey, how's your walk with God going? How are you doing in your relationship with your wife or with your children? And every man a warrior, a group of four to six men, they sign a confidentiality compact the very first week that says we want to grow into the men God wants us to be and we're going to help each other grow into the men God wants us to be by holding each other accountable to grow in our quiet times to apply how we love our wives well, to apply how we raise our children. Three reasons why uh, men don't succeed in walking with God. No one ever taught them how. Satan doesn't want you. You're in a war, fellas. You're in a war, and you need some accountability for you to survive the war. There's one more principle. If you want to turn to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and we'll end with this. Most of you will know this verse. First, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 
we're going to end on this. You got it? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God or God-breathed or all Scripture comes from the very heart of God and is profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. You know what that means? Training in righteousness. It literally means training in right, wise living and thinking. Training in right, wise living and thinking. So that the man of God or the woman of God, so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly prepared for everything that you face in life. How many of you kind of know that verse? You know that verse? Okay. Now, all scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in right, wise living and thinking so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for everything he's going to face in life. Now, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you believe that verse? How many of you believe that that verse is true? Okay, now how many of you know three verses on raising children? Do you see the disconnect? Do you see the disconnect? We believe that the Scripture gives us the answers on how to succeed in life, and then somehow marriage, money, raising children don't seem to get on our radar screen. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. Men, I hope you'll come this afternoon. And I hope that you will, as we go through some more on the Everyman of Warrior series, that you will prayerfully consider beginning a process. In most men's conferences, the end is the end. We all go home. When I have an Everyman of Warrior conference or do what we're doing today, At the end of the day, I hope for many of you, it will be the beginning of committing yourself to a nine-month process of learning how to walk with God, love your wife, raise your children, stay morally pure, manage money according to biblical principles, and make your life count for that which is eternal. Men, how much would you pay to succeed in life? How much would you pay to succeed in life? Lord, thank you for this group of people and their hearts for you and all that they do in the kingdom. Father, would you raise up men who would walk with you and love you and love their wives well and be bright lights in a dark world. They'd spend one-on-one time with their children and speak building blocks of truth into their children and grandchildren. And they would decide to Pay the price, whatever it is, to get the biblical instructions needed so that they as men can succeed in life. Lord, we thank you for our time now and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.